enjoy the show. Beaming at you from the depths of the internet. This is the Temple of Geek Podcast, your one stop for all things geek. All things geek. Welcome to the Temple of Geek Podcast. My name is Monica, and I will be your host as we discuss the first four episodes of Star Wars Andor. If this is your first time tuning into the Temple of Geek Podcast, welcome. The Temple of Geek Podcast has been around since 2012 and is hosted by a variety of geeks from the Temple of Geek team. Here we cover all manner of geek and pop culture news and events. To our returning listeners, thank you again for tuning in. We really appreciate you being here. Returning to the podcast today are two of our Temple of Geek contributors, Stacy and Elizabeth. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi. Hello. Hello. Stacey, I'm very excited to have you here. We were just saying I'm excited earlier. to be here. Yeah, like I think the last time we talked Star Wars was when The Last Jedi came out. Man, that's been a while. Yeah. Yeah, and for anybody and who's my, And list- my thoughts have changed. Have they? Oh, interesting. Yeah, but anyway. Well, uh, for anybody listening... Stacy used to host the Temple Geek podcast along with me and Daniel, and so I'm very excited to have you back. And then, as always, Elizabeth, always great to have you back. I okay. love doing these. <laughs> Can you guys do a quick introduction, uh, say hello to our audience, and tell them a little bit about yourselves? Who do you want to go first? Sure, you can go first. You can okay. go first, Elizabeth. Um, hi, my name's Elizabeth, aka Lady of Time Cosplay. Um, I help write for Temple of Geek, mostly about Doctor Who stuff, but also some Star Wars and some Disney. Um, I also uh, love to cosplay, and I just really love talking about all things geek. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, my name is Stacy. Uh, I've been a part of Temple of Geek for a while. Uh, wow, a long time, actually. Uh, I am a co-host. Like ten of years, Stacy. Ten years, I know. Uh, I, uh, that's cool. That's just cool that we've been around that long, you know, it's just really cool. Um, and just got a lot of wonderful people that work with, uh, Temple of Geek, but, um, uh, I'm co-host of Retro Rebel, uh, Gamecast. Uh, Amanda and I do a, uh, sometimes weekly podcast, uh, <laughs> uh about gaming and gaming related topics and, but I also love Star Wars, uh, Marvel, comic book stuff. So, yeah, I'm pretty much all things geek as well. So I, I probably have input, even if it's just a little bit on just about anything uh, that we talk about here at Temple of Geek. So. Well, awesome. So today we're going to talk about the first four episodes of uh, today. We're going to talk about the first four episodes of Star Wars Andor, which is debuting right now on Disney Plus. The first three episodes have already hit. And the next episode will be out September the 28th, which will be the same day that this podcast episode drops. So we can talk all the spoilers. If you have not watched the episode, please pause and come back because there will be spoilers. Um, so my first question before we take any deep dives, what were your overall thoughts on the first four episodes? I really loved them. Um, I, I just, the story is so interesting. I mean, to see just all this progression of how, you know, because I remember at, at the Star Wars Celebration panel, they, they did say about how when we first meet Cassian, we're not going to recognize him, that he's a very different person. And so I love that we're going to get this whole story of seeing how this guy goes from being kind of just like kind of doing stuff for himself all the way to being willing to sacrifice himself so that these plans 
that the Death Star plans can get into the right hands so that they can stop the Empire. And it, I, I really loved it. The music especially, I really loved, which wasn't something I had thought about. But then, like, the title sequence came up. And even though it's very short, like, a lot of streaming service, you know, uh, titles are like I was like yeah I love that like even in my notes like one of my first bullet points in my notes for when I was watching the screener for episode one was oh I love the music <laughs> oh yeah it's I, I think the music was great um I'll, I'll tell you the thing that struck me the most about this that I mean overall loved it in fact I would I'd go as far as to say this so far if I was just basing it off the episodes we had a chance to watch is my favorite of the Star Wars series so far. As much as I'm a huge fan of the Mandalorian, the whole culture, I've got my own kit, like I've got my own <laughs> uh, movie quality costume. Um, this is the most epic, I think, that Star Wars shows have been, or at least they, they were able to make this seem like a much bigger universe. Whereas, you know, and we can get into some of the details, but I just felt like this was the most epic of the shows so far that I've watched. Uh, and you know, if it ends as strongly as it has begun, will definitely it will be my favorite one so far. Yeah, I was surprised at how much I liked it uh, when I first watched it. And I was, I mean, I love Diego Luna. You know, uh, I'm here for any Mexican actor, right? Um, so, and he's from the same area in Mexico that my father's from, and things like that. So it's very exciting for me to see Diego Luna with his accent on the screen. So I kind of already went in because I love Rogue One and I love Diego Luna kind of thinking that I would like it, but I was surprised in the ways that I liked it. It was not, I didn't, ex I thought I was going to like it like I like Mandalorian, but it was different. I definitely saw it like a very different show. And mm -hmm. so I think I was surprised by that. And then when the credits rolled, I realized it was uh, the same guy who did the Bourne Identity franchise, the Jason Bourne franchise, which I happen to love and something that I watch with my dad a lot. So I was like, oh, oh, OK, I can see why I like this. I have already liked a lot of his work before. So, yeah, you know. uh, one other thought that I had is it. Defi not that adults cannot enjoy Star Wars Rebels, but it definitely feels like the more grown-up version of Star Wars Rebels, even with how it starts. I feel like where it's starting out, you know, cause, like with Ezra, it kind of starts out where he's like just interested in, in the blasters for what he can get out of them. But it'll be really interesting to see, you know, how uh, Cassian goes from just like just being in for it to be looking for his sister and looking out for his family to this larger journey of becoming, you know, one of the probably most important rebels in, in the Alliance eventually. Well, and I think that's a good segue into my next thought was like, um, what did you guys think about the tone shift? Because I do think that it's not geared towards children in the way that most Star Wars is geared towards children. No, I mean, definitely kids can still enjoy it, but I think there is a lot more layers to this one than there is some of the other ones. Because it's, even, like, the original trilogy stuff, it's pretty cut and dry, like, you know, bad guys, good guys, you know. Um, and, I mean, one other thing that really struck me was we don't see the Empire in the first three episodes at all. We see representatives of the empire you know the the corporation is under their jurisdiction but it, it, it's i don't know yeah it's 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 very different 
because when they first said spy thriller, I was like, oh, okay, whatever, you know, but I'm like, yeah, this, this, this is definitely, you know, much more, it's less big space battles and more about the small different things. Like he says in one of the, in, in one of the episodes where he's just walking in and acting like he belongs and there is, it, it may not be as like big boom crash thrilling as some of the other, you know, the space battles, like I said, but it, it is very fascinating. And I really am looking forward to seeing more of that side of the rebellion. Yeah, I, I agree actually that this is, I said it, I said in my first comment that I felt like this was the most epic of the shows so far, like the biggest universe and uh, the most grounded, um, even though it is there, you know, the what what we typically see with the space battles and the Jedi and all this other stuff, which seems so fantastical. This is so much more relatable. And like you said, in terms of, of tone, uh, more adult, I would say that if that unless you're a young adult, you probably won't appreciate which I mean, that that goes for many uh, kids shows or shows that are geared towards kids. But there's adult humor. Uh, or at least humor for adults. Um, but in this instance, I mean, it just starts right from the beginning with a tone that says this is this is not your typical Star Wars show. Um, the themes just right off the bat, you're like, this is this is um, this is just something different, something that I haven't really seen. You haven't seen in Star Wars this explicit. I don't know ever outside of the the the, the Twi'leks in in uh, Return of the Jedi. But even that was a slave, but you didn't really get the, as a kid, I didn't really pick up on anything else because they never alluded to anything. That was a brothel. They're in a brothel, you know? And so that really changes, I think, the tone and just makes this so much more real. Like everybody's not this virtuous person or, you know, every single person that you see so far on this is, is gray, some version of gray, you know? And so... Even though I know that it will become more clear as the season goes on, um, just not just not a lot of good guys, uh, so to speak. So yeah, I I was uh, right from the beginning was was uh, my interest was peaked. So yeah, absolutely, and I agree. I think that like in the grand, like looking at Star Wars as a whole, we do see these signs that like there's brothels, there's bars, there's shady things happening, but it's like so glossed over. You barely scratch the surface. It's very campy, right? Whereas this is in your face. You cannot deny it, right? It's very clear. Like everybody's got their hands in some pocket. Um, One of the things that like I noticed was even the uh, Cassian's friend Bix you know, he even accuses her of like skimming off the top. So like, yeah. there's no clearly like moral, like, you know, compass here. Like everybody's just in survival mode. So I really liked the the tone shift. And I think we started to kind of see a little bit of this in the book of Bubba Fett, where he starts mm-hmm. to see like the gangs and how they operate and the spice runners. You see a little bit of this in like the animated series and, you know, Clone Wars and things like that. But this was very grounded in reality, and it felt a lot more real. And just like the whole bar scene, the very first scene when you see like Cassian entering into that brothel and he goes, just the shift in tone and everything. 
I don't know. It was. He goes down the red light district. I mean, he's <laughs> he's walking down the steps through the red light district, and then goes you know, and then goes into a brothel. And if you pick up on all the the, the insinuations, no credit, no no, uh, you know, you this is a cash only place where we don't talk about any of the details. You come right. in, you better behave. You know. No um, comms, no nothing. Don't no be taking comms, pictures here. <laughs> don't be taking pictures here. You know, uh, and and they did that same thing. I think. Uh, really for this world um, and the, and this cinematography I mean there's just so much that I could talk about you know when you watch the book of Boba Fett I'm not saying it looked cheap but it was very bright like you saw it was almost like I could tell you were on the uh, what's the sound stage that they invented specifically for Mandalorian um, uh, you could what's it called the uh, I know it. I'm well, tip of my tongue, but yeah. Right on the tip of mine, too. Well, you can tell that's where they are in Book of Boba Fett. On this, yeah. I felt like you were on that planet. Like, they mm-hmm. were on that planet, walking down that street. I don't even know what work, uh, uh, is it uh, Basan or whoever is, is a friend that came to look for him in the first episode? Right. I don't, know, I don't know what work he does, but it seemed legit. You know, yeah. he comes out, you've got all the gloves and stuff. They just created such a lived-in world that you just forget all about that this is not a real planet, that they're not actually, that this is a set. It just seemed very real, real very grounded, and was shot in a way different than any of the other series so far. And built on those things that we've seen in Rebels. Uh, you know, the sure. just the area of the gray that everybody's trying to get by, that this this rebellion is is ugly. And 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 dirty and grillified and and uh, you know and and uh, so yeah, there's just you know, it's just a lot to unpack. So yeah, and I really love the clothing yes. that's going on on this show. The costumes yeah. look Star Wars while also looking functional and like real. And like mm-hmm. the whole time, I've been like, how do I get my hands on these? Like, like <laughs> yeah, it's Says like, like a true cosplayer. Yes. <laughs> I just, all, but all of their clothing just looks really great, and yeah. I really loved how the Sentry police officers, the corporate, the corporate police, right? Because they don't work for the yeah. government or anything. They're like rent a cop, security guards, <laughs> whatever you want to call them, right? Um, their uniforms look very corporate, so they're so different from like the Empire and everything. Yeah. You could tell this is branding. This is like you know, like the brand colors and things like that. And I was yeah. just like, wow, this is really interesting. Just how they did this whole thing. Yeah, I, I thought those costumes were really neat too, especially because um, I spent. I made um, Cal Castus's one of Cal Castus's outfits from uh, Jedi Fallen Order. And I spent a lot of time staring at that costume, and it was really interesting because because it it, it seems like um, the planet, at least the planet that Cassian is on, that they're that they're part of supervising is a scrapyard, and so and Calcastus is from a scrapyard planet to um, Braca, and it was interesting to me because even though like in Fallen Order they don't have uniforms necessarily. But he has the patch on his arm, which I spent a lot of time staring at. And it's it is that blue and orange because it's the um, Scrappers Guild. And so I thought it was really cool that they even paid attention to that kind of detail where they had the blue and orange worked into those costumes and some of the stitching. I would, you know, that's that's me being very detail oriented. But yeah. <laughs> and I also really liked um, the oh, shoot. And I can't remember uh, Cassian's homeworld. Uh they, the, Canari, Canari, right? Canari, thank you. Yeah. Um, 
you could tell all the kids like a lot of their outfits because they all had like very similar color palette and if you looked it kind of looked like it was like fabric stuff you know scrounged from like possibly other wrecked ships or other you know things because they have like rivet holes in them that look like you know maybe they were curtains at some point it i could go on and on about the, about the there's, uh, there's also a stuff. point where um one of the costumes looks like it's a orange rebel pilot yeah. um that one of the kids on cassium's uh yes. you know area is wearing um and so but even if you look at the clothes that like they do a close-up of like cassian's young Cassian's uh, outfit. They do a close-up of him and all of a sudden he has, uh, like you could see the wear on the leather. It Mm -hmm. just looks so authentic. And even the tools the kids had, it was like made out of like old pipes and old things and it was crafted of just literally things that they scrounged together and found. And I thought, you know, maybe this is going... I had to, meant to talk about this later, but I was really impressed by the planets and the different planets and how well you can tell the difference between planets. For sure. And I really loved how they showed the explo- exploitation of Cassian's homeworld mm-hmm. and how, okay, we came, we mined the resources that we that we wanted, and then we literally left children abandoned there. We were like, "Peace out, we're out of here." And you know, and they allude to they allude to stuff like that from the from the Empire in the Ahsoka book, in in a number of the new uh, Star basically the the can the new canon about how the Empire goes in and, and has done this, and and I'm sure you're gonna we'll we'll talk about this later, but to your point there, they. Uh, they just they they decimate and they have the, the empire is not all it's cracked up to be and and they have this corporate arm that is trying to sell what the what the empire is and the good part of it and then you have this planet Ferrix that doesn't want any part of it and it's far enough out there where they don't really have an arm to reach to it but you know and so they kind of just let them do their own thing uh, but I, there have got to be many planets like this that kind of function that way. But uh, yeah, I just I, it it showed that it's not just Darth Vader. It's not just uh, you know the stormtroopers and these space battles. It's they're they're in in other ways just regular people are destroying other people's lives and decimating planets and, and impoverishing people. It's just yeah, just very very real and grounded. And one of the things that you were that you mentioned right now is um, it's not just Darth Vader, right? So one of the things that uh, the the Karn, the one police officer that's, or you know, the corporate police officer that's after uh, Cassian, he is exactly the personality that would end up working for the Empire. He's the kind of personality who's looking for validation, he's looking for power, he's looking to move up, and he's willing to sell the propaganda of the Empire, right? So he's exactly the type of person who would be attracted to, like, an Empire, like, you know, like the Empire or whatever. He drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah. yeah, I know. When, when he first popped up, before we, like, realized that he wasn't really necessarily great at his job I had the thought I'm like because he was so like oh we gotta like actually follow up on this I'm like are you are you gonna be this series um oh wow did um the blue guy why can I not think of his name ah oh, from rebels I have my notes I should have typed them up um 
But yeah, the one that's the last of his kind. The the the, the guy that oh, disappears Thrawn. with Ezra. Thrawn. Thrawn thank you. <laughs> yeah. When he first popped up, and you know, he was all like very straight laced, and like we need to actually look into this, and da 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 da. da. You know, like at first, I was like, oh, are you going to be this series Thrawn because you're like paying attention to these details but then it was like very clear it's like you're not that good at your job no no he definitely uh nate pointed out to me when we were re-watching it was that he has more of a hux vibe yes like he's but a better like, hux but better <laughs> yeah you know he definitely hux, hux was a, well yeah but hux was could have been such a good character and you could tell and, that, and that's neither here nor there at this point but between those three movies that hux was written by three different people could be three different characters you know he could have been he could have been a yes man he could have been an, a zealot who was just overconfident in what the the message of the, the empire and then he ends up being uh oh fulcrum you know the the effectively he ends up being you know this insider for you know which is just silly but this character is written so believable to mm-hmm. to you know he's ambitious uh, you know, he thinks he knows what, you know, because he's he knows everything in the book. He is the equivalent uh, from from my experience. He's the equivalent of like a military officer that has seen no real war, has seen no real battles, but thinks he knows everything because he's read all the books. Oh, you know, now I know who he reminds. He reminds me of Frank Burns from MASH. That's who I was going for. <laughs> there you go. OK, <laughs> that's a good reference, too. He's not very good. He knows all the rules. He knows everything that they're supposed to do. But man, he's just going to annoy everybody while he's doing it. Oh, yeah. And it's very clear. Like, for example, the chief inspector knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. He looked at the report and was like, oh, these guys were at a brothel they cannot afford, you know, and while on duty, which is already a bad thing. And he was like, this is just going to blow up in our face. Just cover it up and make it look like they died in an accident helping us out, you know? And I thought that was really interesting where he was like, he knows he's doing something wrong. He knows the guys probably deserved it, but he probably has his hands in so many like, you know, pots that he's not trying to like cause any attention or problems to come to him. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, One of the other things I wanted to ask you guys about is what did you think about the three episode debut? I definitely think they made the right call doing three episodes at once. Not because some people really go, it started so slow. I'm like, it doesn't start slow, but I do appreciate that we got the full three episode story to start with because those first three episodes are all one story. And a a lot carries across those episodes between seeing what Cassie and, you know, the trouble that he got into and how that goes through and also the flashbacks, which I, I could talk about those flashbacks all day. That was wonderful. I hope we see more of his early life because I have so many more questions as to what was going on with that. But I definitely think it was a really good idea. It almost felt like its own mini movie. I mean, it, there would have been like a runtime. It's like what, an, a little a little over an hour, I think, with those three episodes tied all together. Um, yeah, I think they made the right call doing three episodes at once rather than, than one at a time because it just, it, it gives you a really good flavor of what they're going for and you get to know more about these characters without having to wait every week, especially with no, the story you needed that the foundation, ties all together. I think. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, you needed the foundation. Uh, I don't know that you would have had enough to kind of chew on um, mm-hmm. week to week without at least two of those episodes. Exactly. You know? So you get a little yeah. bit of the backstory of, of Cassian and then you also get 
you know, the, the foundation for where the story's going and why he's, you know, in peril and needs to kind of make a pivot in his life. So, yeah, yeah. I think it was a very good choice. Yeah, absolutely. And during the interviews with um, like some of the press junket interviews, Diego Luna told a reporter, he said it's he to him, he, this was his first time doing this kind of long form storytelling. Right. And he said to him, it felt like four movies, which it is 12 episodes. So the first three would be like, you know, one movie, for example. So um, I think that it based on what he said, I feel like we're going to get a bunch of mini movies leading up to it maybe sets of three for example but um i thought it was interesting that like the first episode you have you know the introductions right uh introductions to how the corporation works on the planet the you know the corporate police things like that introduction to andor his family his backstory and then um just basically intros like why he's on the run why he why he's stressed out and why he needs to get off planet or whatever and then the second episode was a lot of like like the effects that the empire has on communities that it has on people because the second episode is really showing like the kids abandoned on that planet you know um you know the way that the uh the workers and everybody deal with the police and things like that and and how they just kind of are like struggling to i think ferrix is the name of the planet that mm-hmm. he's on you know how they're just kind of struggling to get by they don't want to ruffle any feathers things like that and then episode three is really a oh wow this is what happens when you like cross that line when you don't stay in your lane and right yeah where everything just kind of starts falling apart for him <laughs> you feel bad for him but it's also like well this is where his story starts with with the rebellion and i think with episode four we're going into that next set of storytelling so like had the first three episodes it could have just easily been a movie right like, mm-hmm. for sure you know and especially the way that they show like cassian on the plane and the parallels between the back the flashbacks and how like they end up at the same place where he's taking off and having almost like the same kind of experience leaving like the two planets that would have been a great end to a movie Mm -hmm. yeah i I loved the editing in that part i was just like like this is so good (laughs) like i love like which is weird like i don't usually pay too much attention to editing unless you know but i was just like uh, that how they drew that parallel between two very different parts of his life, you know, just ending and then beginning. It, it was, it was so fascinating. And again, I hope we learn more about his life after he, we, after he left his home planet, because I think there's a pretty interesting story there, to be honest. So yeah. We'll um, learn more. <laughs> I, no, I think, I think we will. But and yeah. I think that, I think that this is uh, the decision to, his uh, his interpretation, I guess, of how this is a little bit different. Um, I think that's a lesson that some of these other shows could learn or take a take a lesson from themselves. If, I don't know if y'all have watched Sandman on Netflix, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but one of the things that I really enjoyed about that, and although it's not perfect, but I really enjoyed it. But I noticed that if you if you watch the whole season, and I actually binged it, so it was a lot more apparent to me. It's there, there are common threads throughout the season, but you don't necessarily have to watch it. You don't necessarily have to watch it in order. You have to watch certain episodes in order, you know, to get the gist of what's happening. And, and so there were multiple movies within that show as well. 
You know, you had this whole thing where he visits Lucifer, and, and you had this whole thing where he's got the serial the serial killers, and you have all these other things. They're they're separate stories, but there's a there's a constant through line, you know. And mm-hmm. so, um, I think that that uh, what that does is that prevents that filler episode that's unnecessary, that just seems to stretch out time, that's un you know that you don't didn't really need. Uh, you you uh, you know, that, and everybody complains about it. Even even She Hulk did a tongue in cheek moment where you're like filler episode, you know. And but she looks at the camera when she says it. Uh, I think you can get around that by having transition episodes and things like that, which would could be considered a filler. But uh, the way they're doing it, it, it seems like they're going to get around that that hurdle that so many other shows seem to fail or trip over, um, you know. Yeah, and I think uh, we see a, a little bit of that with like the book of Boba Fett, where I don't think it worked as smoothly with the flashbacks for yeah. the book of Boba Fett. I think that they worked a lot better with Andor. I think that's that's what the book of Boba Fett was trying to get get through and have these like parallels because a lot of the stories, uh, the in the past and in the future for um, Boba Fett was very similar, right? The lessons learned and things like that. But I think that Andor just did it a little bit more eloquently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, I, I also thought it was a really interesting choice that they left um, the language that those kids were speaking untranslated. Even if you turn on the captions, you do not know what they are saying, but the kid, like, it, I feel like it can be hard to find really good children actors sometimes, but they, those kids did such a good job. Even though you do not know exactly what they're saying, you can tell. Like, the first time I watched the episode where it gets to the point where Cassian is going off with the other kids and he leaves his sister behind, even though you do not know exactly what they're saying, you get that feeling like this is a goodbye. They don't know that it's a goodbye, but, you know, you get the sense of like, you know, be careful. Oh, I'll be back. And but, you know, just from from what's already happened that he won't be back, even though you don't know exactly what's going to happen. And just and the way like even the when when the leader, when that girl leader got blasted by the, the person who they thought was dead from the ship crash, it just it, like it was so good. Like I was like, you could feel it. And I, I it, yeah, <laughs> like just they did such a good job. With I'm glad those flashbacks. I'm glad that you brought that up. Wonderful, because I really love the kids actors yes. in this. I thought that was like excellent ask, acting from the kids. There was one scene in particular that like got me, and I it got me on the second rewatch because I think the first rewatch I was just focused on like what's going on, what's happening. Mm-hmm. But on my second watch of the second episode, where they shoot the leader of their yeah, I'm assuming it's the leader because, like you said, there's there's no captions. We don't know what the kids are yeah. saying. But like she was definitely like some kind of a leader or mom figure to them. And the the there's one girl who like cries out and she's freaking out. And I yeah. started tearing up because I was like, oh my god, like this is this is so emotional. Like, and then I started thinking about like you know in episode four they talk about how they hung you know, Andrew's father and things like that. And I just thought, oh my God, are these children all abandoned children from parents who were killed because they fought against like the corporation that was mining their planet or something like that? Like, you know, so were these just kind of like abandoned children like that just ended up in the woods fending for themselves, building their own little community, keeping each other safe? I just thought that was an incredible show of like the human spirit enduring, surviving, like, you know, 
going forth and then to see them deal with even more pain because their leader just got killed and yeah. to see how Andor is starting to get angry and you could see where those like where that foundation of that anger towards like the empire and things like that is starting to build uh, yeah it was it was really emotional though it was really interesting to me because uh when when they came in they said the republic and so I'm like I will be very fascinated to see like who was originally mining that world because they do eventually say, Oh, there was an accident with the empire and the world was declared unfit to live on anymore. But, um, the people who eventually become Cassian's adoptive mother and father, they say the Republic is coming. They don't say the empire is coming. They say the Republic is coming. Yeah. So, cause I think, I think he's young enough that it's, it might be like right on the cusp of the end of the clone wars. I, you know, I, I would have to like, do a little bit more looking into what the timelines exactly are, but they do say the Republic ships are coming, not the Empire ships are coming. So this I, is, I will be very interested to know, I'm like, was this a world that the Republic was mining originally, or was it a world that the Separatists were mining originally? And how did the Empire come in? You know, at what point? And, you know, I, like, there, there's a lot of story there that I will be very fascinated to see the rest of, for sure. So the, the Andor present day with Diego Luna's adult character yeah. is five years before Rogue One. Yeah, I, I just mean like I would I would have to go back and like because I, I don't know if they said exactly how many years before like yeah, the, like how many years before the flashback is. So I I don't know exactly when it takes place, but it was just interesting to me that they said Republic and not Empire because that mm. kind of sets it a little bit before at least a little bit before um, the end of the Clone Wars, which I found interesting. Yeah, and that would that would be interesting. Uh, it'd be interesting to think that maybe there was no, there were no good guys even then. Yeah. With the Republic and the, you know, that even they were mining for spaceships and and for whatever materials mm-hmm. that they needed. You know that. So, more about his, you know, his nihilist mentality. I guess just the, just all it's taking care of me and just the few people around me. But you know, the, when you meet him in the show. He's not the person he was, the grizzled kind of like, I don't, he's all but hopeless in Rogue One, you know? Yeah. He was just kind of empty. And it wasn't until he kind of, he, he regained his purpose in Rogue One. And I guess he finds it in this show, but he was he was rudderless at the beginning, at be, at the beginning of this show. He, he didn't really have a direction. He really was just- Looking uh, for his sister. Looking for his sister, that was it. He's looking for his sister, that's it. He's got, He's got intelligence for uh, the rebellion. I mean, he knows what he's got to play and, and, and the different cards he's got. But it's only as a means to get him where he needs to go, not as some overarching plan, at least not at the beginning. Um, what I thought was interesting was, did Marva kidnap him? Do you consider that kidnapping? Because, I mean, she picks him up to save him. But like, yeah. I would, but even the guy that she was with was like, hey, he's got people here. Exactly. Like, yeah, know? like... I think we would need to know more about how, like, what they perceive perceive the threat. Ooh, if I could talk today. I think we need to know more about how, what the threat that they perceived was. Because um, I've seen some people talk about that maybe Mara and her husband are separatists, uh, or, you know, they might just be uh, pirates, for lack of a better word, uh, where they don't have a side in that war uh, before it ends. But... Like, I, I kind of got her reasoning where she's like, oh, we can't leave them because they're going to be here and they're going to be looking through the ship and they're going to think that 
you know, because they're going to see the guy pumped full of darts, you know, that, that the other kids killed. And so like, I a lot of off. darts. Yeah. A lot of darts. I was like, Holy cow guys. I mean, I get it, but man, um, I think we would need to know a lot more about what the threat was that they perceived. You know, I, I got, I understood that they wanted to help the kid, but also it's like, you know, you don't take people away from their family, even if, you know, maybe it's not the traditional family, but it's like, I was like, it, it'll be very interesting to see how, because I think that's definitely going to come into play again, where he obviously cares for his adoptive mother and cared for his adoptive father, but it'll be interesting to see how that all affected his his uh, outlook on everything, including, you know, the rebellion and all that. Right, because it wasn't with, like, Saul Carrera, where, like, you know, uh, Jin was left with Saul. Like, right. she, like, she was left there to be protected and to, you know, Saul Carrera was a family friend. This is, like, literally a stranger, so is there some kind of... He didn't even speak the to... same language. No. Right. He didn't even speak, yeah. same, you know. They couldn't even communicate at first. Yeah, and I, I did like that. One thing that I love is that they never made Diego Luna change his accent because I love the idea that there's all these accents in the universe and the universe in Star Wars is a big place and people speak differently. And, you know, when they were looking for him, they referred to him as like somebody, a human with dark features, right? And so I really like the difference between like, oh, there's other alien races or whatever you want to call the other. So they were very specific that, you know, he's a human, but... I, I love that there was like so many accents and so much diversity and so much like that they didn't take away because it felt more authentic mm-hmm. than having like, you know, a universe where everybody kind of looks the same and the only people that are different are like the aliens or something right. like that, right? Yeah. Um, so I like that, like you said, he, they didn't even speak the same language. And now you can kind of see that because he has this accent that's different from like his friends on that planet and Biggs and everybody else. He de- He clearly sounds different. He's clearly not from around here. Um, when I was watching the first episode with my son, he was like, did he just make like a, a racist comment against him when the police officer was like, did you swim over here? And I was like, yeah, I caught that too. And I was like, oh God, it hurt like, me. Oh, we are doing like, some oh. real life racism in this Star Wars. Okay. But I think it was a good social commentary. For sure. Yeah. It made everything feel a little bit more grounded, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it was authentic. And 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 can we just say I think having more British accents, the the fact that everybody was British, or Scottish, or or Irish, um, you know, not just American and with American accents, uh, you know, it just it, it takes it back to the original Star Wars trilogy, where and it it wasn't just the evil people with British accents, you know, um, but you know you just have all these different accents and it, um, it just again another feather in the cap another another part uh another another factor that i think makes this much more authentic and this world believable and another another plus yeah yeah absolutely and i don't know about you guys but i'm sorry even the rain felt authentic to me when the rain was falling on him it would it kind of reminded me of the scene in um where Obi-Wan is on Camino yeah. and it's like pouring on him. And sometimes I'm like, I can't believe these are sound stages because to me it just felt real. And it's like, yeah. you know, yeah, I the, think they did a really good job of that. Yeah, the set, des- like we were saying earlier, the set design and world design of, of these first couple episodes is just gorgeous. You know, everything yeah. feels like a different planet, even though, you know, obviously everything's going to be shot on Earth in some location or another. 
they've they've done a really great job of finding different places that look like different planets and building them. And even like the technology seems like on Ferric, for example, like the technology seemed more realistic. Like mm-hmm. the fact that like the way he dialed the phone didn't seem like the guy Tim, who you yes. know basically Tim wrapped out Tim with two M's. Because <laughs> the silliest Star Wars name, but I love it. I, actually, now that we're on the subject, I would like to talk about Tim. What did you guys think of his role in this film? In this film, jealous man, huh? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, it's just, again, it's one of those characters where it's like, you obviously know what he is doing is wrong, but to him, he thinks he's keeping this other, you know, the woman that he loves safe because he doesn't know the context. He doesn't know what's going on, you know, especially because, uh, one of the other characters even points out later in the episode that there was no reward for that. That was just him like, being like, oh, I think she's in danger. And hey, bonus, this way, I get to be with her instead of this guy. Well, and I, I think that was his his main, that was his main motivation. Was, oh, for sure, yeah. It wasn't that he was really looking out for her as much as he was eliminating the competition. Yeah, I think and, in, his, in his head, he probably thought, oh, I'm oh, oh, he, safe. He but like, realistically, yeah. yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> yeah, he rationalized no. it for sure. But you could believe it. Like, I understood his motivation 100%. Yeah. Like, I got it. And it was believable. And you're like, I see, I know exactly what's happening and I can tell you what's going to happen, but I still want to see it happen because that's how good it was. It was how yeah. well done it was, you know. Also, He's tell him. I know it. <laughs> and I don't just think he deserved to die for it. I, You know, what did, yeah. what he did was shitty. He should not have done that. You know, <laughs> it was not okay. But like, I did feel bad for Vix because there she was handcuffed. Yeah. And like... You know, having to like sit there and just look at his body. Well, I I can't even imagine what that was like. Like, yeah. and Bix's character seemed really like complex and not just very one thing. You know, like so she clearly like cared about this man Tim while she was also doing a bunch of shady stuff on the side and transporting all kinds of stuff, whether it was to the rebellion or for whatever reasons. You know, she was just out there like everybody else trying to survive. But I thought there was something really cool about their relationship, which was she was taking the lead on the romantic part. She shows up at his place. She has like all this agency over. She clearly wants to be with Tim. She's just caught up in all of these other things. And I don't think I've ever seen something like that, like on a Star Wars show where this like woman has all this agency and she's like, I'm about to do my thing. I got this shady stuff, but I'm going to come see you afterwards, you know? And and she doesn't do it for any other reason other than I want to be here. So I thought that was interesting. I don't know if it means anything, but I just thought it was interesting to have a character who had that kind of like, you know, just because Andor's the lead doesn't mean I'm like falling all over you. Although clearly they had some kind of relationship, right? Yeah. Yeah. But she still, you know, wasn't chasing after him or anything like that. So to see her handcuffed there, and the dude that she like clearly cares about is just, regardless of the fact that he did something awful, right? He's there, just laying there. It was, it was a lot. Yeah. It was, yeah. And I think, it, I think we're going to see more of her too because just for the fact that, um, I forget if it was Star Wars or D twenty three or you know one of those sites posted a you know get to know the characters and she was on that list. So I'm like, I don't think it's just going to be those three episodes. So I think it'll be interesting to see where she pops up again and and how and in what context too. 
They had 159 speaking roles. Yeah, I was reading that in in the production notes. I'm like, that's going to be a lot of people, but all right. (laughs) I love some good new characters. (laughs) But I think it did a lot of good for like the, um, at least in my opinion, I think it did a lot of uh, good for the world building because Mm -hmm. there was like um, a time when there was like that, the guy that uh, was arranging transportation for Cassian. Yeah. And he was arguing with the other alien about like, you know things in the background you don't know what this is you don't and I was like oh wow that's such a like interesting little dynamic I was like I wouldn't mind seeing like a short of them two just like working or something yeah that's the thing like almost every single character that's been in this I'm like I want to know more about you I'm like I want to know what your story is I want to know what's going on with you you know because just like you said the world building in this has been phenomenal you know they've done a really good job just making you interested in all of the characters and what they've got going on, no matter how much or how little they are on screen for at any given time. Like even even the um, the trio of, of uh, workers that was you know keeping an eye out for the messages from you know to try to find to try to find Cassian. Like you could tell they had like <laughs> the noodles. Like you tell, I'm like blue noodles. Yeah, yeah, blue noodles. I'm like, man, you know, I'm like you could make a fun little like. 15 minute sitcom short with them because they just seem like they're fun even though you know they're obviously like within the context of the show not the good guys by any means but they they were I'm like all these characters are really well fleshed out and thought about especially the, the um I know we haven't talked about episode four a whole lot but the uh group of characters in episode four that we meet too their stories were all really fascinating even though you don't like it told precisely everything up front you know you learn little bits and pieces about the different characters and i just like you said it's really good world building with this with this show well yeah i think you get that from every episode and and every 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 piece that they've introduced so far they do such a good job of telling you just enough i know exactly how that corporation runs for the most Mm -hmm. part based on it's i'm informed enough from other movies and, and and other other media to be able to tell okay I know how that corporation works. I know a person just like that. I know those three analysts that are like, we're just doing our job, man. Yeah. And and you got this overzealous boss that has these has unrealistic expectations and really doesn't understand the ins and outs, you know, and is telling you your job as if he knows how to do it better than you do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so it's like so much, so many of these things were relatable, uh, even though it was in Star Wars universe. And, and I think all of that, and then, then you know, you get a little bit more on, uh, you know, in, on Cassian and his his family. You, they start talking, or you start to. They don't even speak English. They don't even speak a decipherable language, and there's no subtitles. But just from the way they interact with one another, I know exactly what's going on with that yep. dynamic. Who's in charge? Kind of the the hierarchy of the people. You know where Cassian kind of se- seems to fit. They didn't even want him on that expedition. Mm-hmm. You know, they're you know they reluctantly allowed him to come and i i i really i've I've watched it three times and i'm still not sure they really knew he was there until (laughs) until he had done something that nobody else had done they're like come on hurry up you know so uh yeah they just they've done such a good job of of and i think i saw a video uh on a youtube channel hello hello future me he's he's a writer He, he does he does a lot of great stuff but uh on this episode he talks about uh, show don't tell and you know you don't that instead of having that exposition there's just so much going on that if you're not paying attention you'll miss 
so much of the story that's informed just by interactions or looks or, or you know, dialogue that has no subtitles, but everything else that's going on in that interaction, it's not just two people standing in a, in a CGI room. You know, it's a real set with, with authentic interactions with one another that really inform what's going on and build that world. So, um, again, I can't speak highly enough, especially for those all four episodes, but the first three did just such a great job of building that world. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that, because I think Rogue One is like my favorite Star Wars movie, right? And I think that it was because it introduced all this non-Skywalker stuff, right? There was no other Jedis in the movie. It was just all these like side characters. And I was always really, really interested in Bodhi's character, the pilot. And I was like, you know, what was his job like? He was just a pilot. He was no one. Did he have family back home? Like, what did he risk? Like, you know, leaving to take Galen Erso's message to Saul Guerrera, right? Yeah. What did Galen say to him that moved him so much that he was like, oh, I'm going to forego my paycheck this week and go on this crazy mission to, like, deliver these things? And, like, like what did he give up? Because he could have just been a pilot coming in, coming out, doing his job, clocking in for work, clocking out, leaving. And I just, like, I always thought about him. So I'm so excited that we're finally getting, like, these stories from Star Wars, these little side stories that don't necessarily tie into the full narrative of, you know, like, the Star Wars stories and they're just these little characters that exist in this universe and I'm excited because this show has like to at least to me prove that it works that Star Wars could branch out and do a ton of different things and not even mention a Jedi and it still feels like Star Wars and it still feels really good exactly yeah like it, it I think one of this the things that the show's done really well so far and I'm sure will continue to do is just showing how outside of big things like the Death Star or the, the TIE Fighter initiative in Rebels, how the Empire or and its subsidiaries, how it affects everybody's day-to-day life. Even if, you know, you don't have stormtroopers patrolling the streets, there's still that presence. There's still things that they're feeling where this is like, this is not right. This is not how things should be. And you're just seeing how it affects the day-to-day lives of just ordinary people, which I think is going to be a really interesting thing to follow in this show. I know Elizabeth's probably tired of hearing me talk about The Expanse, but The Expanse is probably one of my favorite sci-fi series of all time, if not my top favorite show of all time, right? And one of the things that I loved about that show is that it's so grounded in reality and it's, uh, it's sci-fi, but it feels real. It feels like all the issues that they're dealing with are issues that we deal with now. And I kind of feel like Andor is the same way. And when I was talking to um, the writers and the the creator of the show, I asked them, like, how do you keep it, like, feeling so real? And the way that they responded was, like, there's five problems that humans have faced over history. So as long as you write about those, like, five problems, like, it just keeps cycling over and over. Eventually the news catches up and it feels like something that you're going through. Like people are very simple. They have the same five problems, power, money, sex, love, whatever it is. Right. And so, um, and I feel like Rogue One is exactly that. Like everything feels relevant because it's just, it doesn't matter if you're in a galaxy far, far away a long, long time ago, they're all dealing with the same corruption, the same social economic issues. And at the bottom of it, corruption and greed and power kind of like, you know, 
making life harder for everybody else. So I don't know. I just think that the world building and everything and just making it feel grounded in reality has been so great on this show. For sure. Yeah. I'm excited to see what's coming in the future based on what we've seen in episode four, because we saw how like the lower classes and the people who are out on the outer rims and mid rim territories deal with it. But then we see in episode four what the rich and the elite deal with. Yeah. And, and it was nice to kind of see like that type of reality, right? Like completely different worlds. What did you guys think about episode four? Yeah, um, one thing that I was thinking about when I was watching it, again, drawing parallels to Rebels, because Rebels actually, Rebels season one is taking about place about roughly the same time as as the first season of Andor is. Um, so Rebels is a lot of like outer rim and further stuff where this is going to be, seems like more mid rim and central worlds. Um, and I think it's going to be really fascinating to see more of how the Senate works under this under the empire because the senate you know they're not it's just they're just there to try to kind of keep people being like oh no you you still have representation it's fine you know whatever um so i'm very interested to see more of mon mothma's story especially um knowing what we do about her eventual uh role in the rebellion um i'm kind of hoping that maybe we see i don't think it would be this season, it'll probably be season two um, because the season covers one year and season two is going to cover like basically the next four years leading up to Rogue One. But it'd be, I'm very interested to see if we might see the catalyst for, uh, because there's an episode of Rebels where we see her, you know, they're basically transporting her away from Coruscant to get to the rebellion because she is defected. She has finally said enough is enough. And I will be really interested to see what that catalyst is. I hope that they do something with that. And it's also really cool to see her home life too. Cause I, I hadn't even like thought about the fact that she had a husband, you know, <laughs> until he popped up and she's like all annoyed with him too. Um, because it, it seems like, it, um, I mean, I was reading, she, she's a, not a huge part. Uh, well, I guess she's a pretty decent part of um, the book that recently came out, The Princess and the Scoundrel, which is about uh, Han and Leia's wedding and then subsequent honeymoon. And she is from Chandrilla, um, which is this big, huge, you know, they talk about it in the book a bit where, um, you know, this, they're a star cruiser and, you know, luxury and everything. And part of the story is like, oh, she's got family connections to the Chandrilla Starliner. And so that's how she sets Han and Leia up with their honeymoon. And it's just really fascinating to, I, I think it'll be really cool to see how, you know, what what fuels her to be like, hey, you know what, this isn't okay. You know, uh, because we see a little bit of that in, in Clone Wars, but you know, she she comes from such a wealthy, well-to-do planet that, you know, maybe, you know, the empire's kind of taking over some of the private businesses to fuel their own expansion and fuel their own starships and everything. but she maybe is not who you would expect to become a central part of a rebellion against a government because she is from such a wealthy planet. And, you know, it, for the most part, maybe it doesn't really affect her, um, at least not on, you know, in any huge ways. So I think it'll be really interesting to see that. I think it'll be really cool to see more of the ISB, which is, again, something that they've brought in from Rebels. Um, I don't think we're going to see... That? The, uh, oh... You're going to make me remember what it actually stands for. The, uh, 
uh, ISB is, if I can remember. But it, it's basically the like a security bureau, you know, kind of like CIA kind of Imperial stuff. Imperial Security something, yeah. Yes, yeah, thank something. you. Imperial Security Bureau, um, where they're basically kind of in charge of making sure, you know, like squashing any sort of rebellions, looking for patterns, looking for you know, places where there might be people who are, you know, they're not just stealing to steal, they're stealing to make an impact against the empire, you know, organize, organizing against them. And we see that, um, you know, that was something that was in, in a concept that was introduced in Rebels with Agent Callus, who is a pretty big part of, you know, he gives he gives the Rebels in, in Rebels uh, a hard time for a really long time before he comes to realize, like, hey, maybe the Empire kind of sucks because they left me for a really long time on this cold planet. And the guy that I thought was my enemy uh, actually was really nice to me and made sure that I survived long enough to get back home. And, you know, he, he knows that he wouldn't have done that if he had been in, in Zeb's position. Um, and so it'll be really interesting to see more of that, especially seeing how they operate centrally. It was really cool to see like that big like roundtable meeting of just like all these people being like, eh, you know, whatever. And it was cool because they did mention Ryloth, which is the planet that the Twi'leks are from, and that is a early episode of of Rebels as well. Um, and it it it'll be really interesting to see how that works and see more of that central, you know, to see especially because one of um, the main villains, I am forgetting her name, the lady um, that we met and that we meet in episode four. Um, you know, the, the, they talked a little bit about how it's going to be showing her trying to like climb the ranks in the ISB and try to get more power. And we see that in episode four too, where she's like, this should be under my jurisdiction because guess what? This involves something that happened in, in my area so wasn't Thrawn? Me, so. Wasn't Thrawn in charge of the ISB, or I know um, he's involved with them? I know he's involved. He's because he's Grand Admiral Thrawn, so I don't know if he's more of the ships and everything. Because his big thing was the Tie Fighter program. Uh, at least I know there's books. I haven't read the books. I just mostly know them from Rebels from the TV. I read show. the first one, and I've read yeah. part of the second one. I haven't finished it, but I I want to say that that was where he started and his yeah. climb through the ranks was through the ISB because he almost has a force sensitive ability to predict tactically, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he, he can, he can almost see, read the tea leaves and he's four moves ahead of everybody. Yeah. And, yes. but he always did it the right way. Like he always did it with honor. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ISB is, it's just like any other intelligence group, CIA, FBI, whatever, if they needed to topple the government, they topple the government. Please, Big Brother, don't come get me. The, you know, the, uh, <laughs> but just, just the idea that you've got. <laughs> she may be one of the biggest, most evil villains <laughs> that we've seen, just because she comes from that ilk. She is someone who is ambitious and she's intelligent and she is a part of a group whose purpose is to, with a smile on their face, quell rebellions. Like yep, right. shut it down, you know, cut the head off the stake and do it without anybody ever knowing that they were there. Unlike the idiot that was doing, <laughs> you know, the reconnaissance before. Yeah, I mean, right. how just what how funny was it? It was so funny to me, but almost cringy, like in an office sort of way when he's up there just floundering around trying to give his <laughs> yeah. speech and his men are like rolling their eyes. And and then he's got the he's got his deputy who's just like he's just like the only person that they 
Way to go. He's like, pats him on his shoulder. That well is a done. wonderful comparison, The Office. And I would like a spin-off series of that yeah. corporate office. And he's like the Michael Scott and his deputy is he's, like uh, Dwight. Kylo Ren. Do you remember? Do you remember the? Right. The, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. the Saturday Night Live yeah. Kylo Ren, where yes. he's just oh my he's god, a he's a yes. with everything that he does, and everybody's like just cleaning up after him. <laughs> That's yeah, how I felt like this guy yeah. is. Oh yeah, undercover boss. That's what uh, I'm not Kylo. And then, I, I like, quote that all the time too. <laughs> I don't. So I don't know if you guys play the Star Wars video games, but uh, Stellan Skarsgård's character, he's like a collector, right? In his little like, you know. I don't know, boutique that he has with all mm-hmm. the collectibles when Mon Moth uh, comes in. They showed a costume that looked very similar to the Starkiller costume mm-hmm. from the video game. It's in the backdrop. And then, like, I know we were not supposed to take screenshots. Disney, don't come out. But I took a picture of it. <laughs> and it Nobody did. What are you talking about? didn't share it or anything. It was just for research purposes. It was for research, and it looks, if you put it side by side to the Starkiller costume, it's almost identical. Mm. So I thought that was very interesting. It was, like, standing in, behind him on, like, a display, like, on a on, on a mount, you know, like a dress form or something. Yeah. I, I, and right. when, when he walks with uh, Mon Mothma to the back, and they're talking in private, you know, while the driver's just hanging out there, you yeah. know? The driver um, is definitely a spy. <laughs> yeah, and there's definitely, like, other collectibles that, like, I'm like, that looks so familiar, but I don't know where it's from. Yeah, so I one, can't wait for, you know, the internet to take hold of nerdist. this. And, like, or yeah, one I was, was going to say, there's um, one, I forget where I saw it, but I might have been on TikTok or something. Um, one of the TV spots that they released shows a brief second of that scene. And um, somebody pointed out that you can see, it's not necessarily, we don't know for sure if it's Plo Koon's Plo mask, Koon. but you see yeah. a, a similar mask to Plo Koon's in the background of one of the shots in the TV spots. And everybody's yep. like, ooh, what? <laughs> So I, 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 I can't wait to see, to find out more about what his deal is between being, you know, kind of a early organizer for the rebellion, apparently, but also running this, like, boutique collection shop as kind of a front for a, an excuse to talk to Mon Mothma and also to kind of have, like, a, a reason for why he's always traveling all over the place, you know. And not only that, but it's, like, almost money laundering as well, right? If you yeah. kind of funnel money into the rebellion, mm-hmm. right, you can be like, I sell these collectibles, I sold them for this much, but I took, I pocketed this much or whatever, right? Yeah. So, I mean... It's yeah. it's an interesting situation that he's in, and yeah, and I'm, I, I'll, I'll be very interested to know who he think he's thinking of bringing in because Bail Organa was very early on rebellion leader. You know, I mean, granted, you know, who knows how much of some of the books that kind of got published in between that in between period of of Disney buying Lucasfilm and then continuing on with more stories because I think the Ahsoka novel kind of falls in a weird gray area with that. Um, especially because it seems like uh, one of the Tales of the Jedi might slightly contradict the book, but, like, part of the story in the Ahsoka novel is... And this is spoilers if you're going to... The Ahsoka novel is very good. Go read it if you haven't. It is good. It's very good. I loved it, you know. Um, But part of the story in that is um, Bail Organa realizing that Ahsoka is alive and recruiting her very early on. I think it's about a year it's it's said about a year after the the empire takes over no i, I know it's said a year after the empire takes over because that was one of the things i researched for my article about the obi-wan series and the timelines and everything um 
he recruits Ahsoka very, very early on to become Fulcrum, essentially seeing, you know, looking for ways that they can fight against the Empire, looking for people who can, you know, help them with their cause of, of helping people that the Empire won't or the, the Empire is oppressing in one way or another. So it, I'll be very interested to see, you know, I'm like, are, are Ma, at this point, do Mon and Bale not know that the other one is, that they're both kind of fighting, you know, the same fight? I would fight, like it better but if they didn't. You know, yeah, it'd be interesting like to see. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm, I'm very interested to see, you know, because, um, just again, from Rebels, we know that this is still early enough where there's different pockets of rebellion, but they haven't all really coalesced yet. You know, it's not until a few years, you know, later until um, the, you know, they're just kind of by necessity because of Thrawn, because of other people coming after them that they have to come to, they finally have to come together just for their own protection. Um, so I'll be, I'll be very interested to see how that story goes too. Cause I think there's, there's just so much. And like, I don't, I would love it if we didn't get any huge cameos outside of Mon Mothma. And I don't think she really counts as a cameo because she is going to be a very central character in this show. But I think if we see any characters from Rebels outside of Mon Mothma or Bail Organa, um, I don't think we're going to see them until season two. Apart from maybe, maybe Ahsoka as Fulcrum. You know, we're definitely just, getting uh, Saw Gerrera. Yes, oh, yeah, yeah. Saw Gerrera is going to be an issue. Yeah, he yeah. will be here. He's in everything. When, <laughs> when or where we see him. Oh, hello, puppy. Um, when or where we see that Saw Gerrera is, you know, we might it might just be a cameo, right. but we're definitely going to start to see that. Yeah. But uh, I don't think Cassian Andor meets Saw Gerrera because in Rogue One, he doesn't know Saw Gerrera from... I mean, he's Sagarera's yeah. prisoner, so it might be something kind of happening. <laughs> or at the very the least, they're, they're, they they don't you know end well. <laughs> right, right, because he ends up his prisoner and doesn't right. really feel like they know each other. Um, so I think if anything, it'll be one of those like, oh, this is happening on this other planet, or they may refer to Sagarera, mm-hmm. show scenes of what he's doing or whatever, yeah. and, or maybe he's you know with Mon Moth. Uh, and they just don't cross paths. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I mean, see where Andor and Saul would cross paths. Yeah, I mean, because in again in Rebels, um, there is a bit of a storyline where they talk about Mon Mothma and Saw are really going like head to head in their different approaches to the rebellion because they talk about how Saw is a lot more willing to you know kill people and blow stuff up and play dirty. It's not you know exactly where Mon Mothma. And and the, and um, the rebellion that we're most familiar with, they're they're very much like, if we can get away with not hurting anybody, we will not hurt anybody. But if if we have to, you know, jump, jump in some starfighters and blow some stuff up, that's what we're going to have to do. But they they are yeah, especially the episode. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but the episode where they are on. The world with all the bugs that built the 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 battle droids. Geonosis. Thank you. <laughs> it's been a long weekend. Um, when they are on that world, and that is a an episode with Saw. Um, Saw, you know, they, they go to to find Saw because is they lost contact with him and his team, and so they send the ghost crew to go and, and see him. We see a huge difference in in how 
the rebels that are more aligned with like Mon Mothma's side of the rebellion versus Saw's because Saw's like, we're going to take this bug captive. We're going to like make him talk. We're going to, you know, bring him and, and Kanan and Ezra and Sabine and Zeb are like, no, this is his world. We need to find out what he is trying to tell us. We can't just kidnap him because he's the only right. one here. And you think that he's the reason why, you know, you, your men disappeared or whatever so it's it'll be really interesting to see more of how these different sides of the rebellion come together and sometimes work together and sometimes don't and i think the only other cameo we'll probably get is i know they've already um as far as on the cast roster ellen tudyk as k2so so at some point to see how they meet yeah, uh, so we'll, we should get that at some point, but yeah, yeah. yeah they, I, I, I think I remember pretty early on they said that K2SO will not be in season one, but he will be in season two. So it'll probably be later in the season. Um, but I do think it's entirely possible that in season two we might see some of the ghost crew. Um, but again, kind of like even though She Hulk likes to be like, this is not a cameo every week show, haha, you know, all the cameos in She Hulk have made sense. I hope that you know, if they try to bring in some of the other characters that it makes sense. Like, I I definitely think we'll see Bale, Morgana, because it's just, you know, they brought him back for Obi-Wan. I'm sure he would be happy to be in this show, too. Um, but if if we see anybody outside of Bale, uh, Mon Mothma, maybe Leia, I'd be surprised. Um, and then, like I said, Ahsoka, but I don't think we will see Ahsoka. I think we will just see her fulcrum symbol and her disguised voice that we get really early on in Rebels um, as part of maybe a, something that Cassian gets himself into. But, but, but couldn't Freddie Prince Jr. absolutely play uh, Kanan? I mean, he could absolutely play him. Um, if we see, if we see, here's the thing too. Now you've got me thinking about that. He was supposed to be at New York Comic Con, but he pulled out. And I know they are starting if they have not already started production on Andor season two, they are starting very soon. And I'm like, if I see Kane and Jarrus in live action, I will cry <laughs> because <laughs> I love him and Hera so much. So much. I think you might see her. Oh my God. You oh, could yeah. see her. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think, you know, I, I definitely think we will probably, you know, cause she gets mentioned, like it's a very like background noise thing, but you know, you hear the, the, the name yeah. Captain Sindula in Rogue One. You see Chopper for like a couple seconds. So, but again, I don't think that it's, I think they're going to spend most of this first season, which is one entire year of Cassian's life leading up to Rogue One. I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of those characters, but I think maybe in season two, we might see some of that. But again, I hope that it's in service to his story, not just for the fun of it, you know, <laughs> even though I would love to see the entire ghost crew, especially because they have, all of them casted already apart from Kanan unless they're doing some force ghost thing in Ahsoka because um, Disney no I did not see a bootleg version of the Ahsoka trailer <clears throat> from Star Wars Celebration that did not happen but we know that they have those people cast we know that they have Sabine cast we know who Sabine is being played by we know that Hera is in it we know that Chopper is in it we know that we're going to see Ezra at some point though I'm sure they would and have to Ezra, Ezra looks just like as the guy that looks uh, the guy that was cast for Ezra mm -hmm. looks just like Ezra yeah you know they did they did a great job of all that yeah I mean I, if, if they were going to have Ezra in, in in Andor they'd have to cast somebody younger um, they might even cast somebody younger for Sabine as well if if these people show up but 
yeah, if 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 we see Freddie Prince Jr.'s Kanan in live action, I will be inconsolable and obnoxious for at least a week. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that really just kind of hypes up the whole idea that I really think that these extended Star Wars universes in the Disney Plus shows, um, like they're great. They're 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 giving us so much. I don't know if you guys saw Star Wars Visions, like the animated shorts. Yeah. But that was absolutely beautiful storytelling. I would love to see some of those translated into live action. Um, mm-hmm. There's so much room for story t- storytelling, I think, um, and or prove that you can have different types of storytelling. And it doesn't have to be like the same tone for Star right. Wars and it still works as a Star Wars show. Um, I really felt like it was very different. Um, but before we wrap up, do you guys have any favorite characters, favorite moments, favorite things that you just really enjoyed? Because I think, or any criticisms, because I feel for the most part, we've been very, like, speaking very highly of the series. Um, I mean, I just, like, Cassian's been such a, like, a, you know, you, you get a bit of his story in Rogue One, but I, I love it when they t- are able to do these shows and flesh out these characters more. I really liked Bex. Like I said, I hope we see more of her. I really think we're gonna like have a love to hate relationship with. Why am I so bad with names? With with the with the um, deputy guy from the Corpos and the lady from ISB. It's just uh, serial Karn is yes. and Deidre Mira. Dear Deidre, yes. Um, I'm also very fascinated to know more about the guy who recruits Cassian, you know, especially his whole, like, because it's not just that he, like, has an excuse to be off planet all the time. He's, like, like he has, like, a disguise for his front, you know. There's just so much, and especially seeing more of Mon Mothma's life, even just the little bit that we saw in episode four with her and her husband, and she's got this dinner that she has to worry about. It's, like, I can't imagine, like... It's going to be really fast. Like I said before, it's going to be fascinating to see her more of her story as well, because she is such a central figure to the rebellion eventually. But she's having to pretend to be chill with all these people that she like absolutely knows are doing horrendous things in the name of the Empire. Um, Yeah. And I, you know, so far, I mean, I can't think of any criticisms offhand. I just they've done a really great job with like we've said with this sets with the costuming with the world building with all of the like just little bit side characters you know fleshing everybody out I just hope that that continues and doesn't stop like they stop doing end credit scenes four episodes after She-Hulk was over I was like but I thought that was gonna be you know um that's a whole other thing but yeah it's just been really good I can't wait to see more again uh if they do cameos, if they bring in other fan favorite characters, I hope that they do it in a way that services Cassian's story because this is called Andor. This is called Andor, not, you know, the rebellion or anything. It's it's about him. So as long as they bring in any any other characters that they bring in, service his story and connect to his story in a meaningful way, I'll be happy. No, I, I agree. <laughs> no, they. Uh, I don't have any serious criticisms about this show. I think it's because of how well it's been cast and how well it's written and shot. There's just um, any anything that I have to to say to criticize it. I think is is uh, 
would be nitpicky. Uh, I, I don't. I really don't have anything negative to say. I think it's just done very well, and um, I'm. I had something. I think I was a little bit more profound than I just agree, but uh, I can't remember exactly what it was. It's this is this is probably the. Uh, like I said from the beginning, my first comment was this is the best uh, Star Wars show I think that they've come out with so far. One of the best Star Wars original Star Wars stories that I have watched or read, you know. And I read most of the expanded universe, starting with the Yuuzhan Vong. Like I read all of those books i've got i still have most of them uh the original thrawn series you know there there are there are characters that i would love for them to see i would love to see um but uh like thrawn thrawn's probably one yeah. that i want to see more than anything else mm-hmm. oh i'm sure yeah. if, if we don't see him in this i'm sure we'll see him in the ahsoka series because he is terrifying in the best way possible. <laughs> he is one of the best villains and yeah. one of the purest ones. You know? Yeah, especially because he's just, like I said, when that one guy showed up, I was like, oh, are you going to be the Thrawn of the series? And then immediately he just messed up so bad. I was like, no, you, you want to be Thrawn. You want to be very, like, nitpicky, knowledgeable, but no, dude, come on. And I, I it'll be really interesting to see more of, of his story, too, especially when he goes back to his, his family on Coruscant. And he's not, it doesn't seem like his family is from, like, the lower, lower levels of of, <laughs> of, uh, of Coruscant, but he's, he's definitely not, you know, from a very affluent family either. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes, too. And they mentioned him in the Mandalorian already, so I'm sure we're going to see him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's in the Ahsoka episode that yes. they mentioned him. Yes. So. Where is your master? Where is Grand Emperor? Exactly. So I'm sure we'll see him in the Ahsoka series. It is exciting. I don't have, like Stacy said, if I even said anything, it would be nitpicking. I thought the action so far has been great for, like, spy thriller action. Um, I think that the casting is beautifully done. They did a gorgeous job with the casting. I think the kids on that planet um, that Cassian is from were just absolutely incredible little actors. And it, I hope that they keep going back to the flashbacks because mm-hmm. those those seem like really interesting stories. I'm looking forward to kind of seeing what happens with his sister. Does he find her? Does he not? Like. Who did she grow up to be? Is she mad at Cassian? Does she just not know what happened to him? Like, there's so many things that I can't wait to figure out. I hope we get some of those answers by the end of season one, but at least I know we're getting a season two. So yes. and twelve episodes too. Like that. Right. My goodness. Like I get that they've got budget, they've got different metrics or whatever, but I'm like twelve episodes, twenty-four episodes for the entire run of this series um yes like that that is great and I'm so happy about that I think like my one nitpicky thing that kind of threw me a little bit I think I told you about this was um the fact that the ISB office looked like the Epcot ball was a bit of a I mean I get it because it's white and it's you know modernist you know whatever but I'm like why is why are we inside the Epcot ball at the ISB office (laughs) But you know, it, it 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 works. It just like it threw me for a second. Where I'm like, that that's the Epcot ball. <laughs> yeah, no, I've been so excited. Um, I'm excited for the uh, Thanksgiving finale because I think mm-hmm. it drops on Thanksgiving weekend. So I don't. I think it'll be a nice long fall season. Um, yeah, super excited about it. I love Diego Luna. I think he's doing an excellent job. 
like yeah. his acting the writing on the show is really great but just the direction the cinematography oh my god i cannot get over the shots and the sets and i know especially like i keep like i keep saying the the editing and the shots of the, the final shots of episode three i was just like this is gorgeous and such great storytelling and drawing the parallels i'm just like oh this is good all right any final thoughts before we wrap up not really i just i can't wait to see what else they do and i am also thank you disney plus for finally putting star wars and marvel on different days because as somebody who works a nine to five on wednesdays oh my goodness getting up early to watch two episodes of something yeah thank you for finally changing that around well then it gives you something to look forward to two days yes exactly exactly what a time to be a geek we have star wars on wednesday marvel on thursdays uh lord of the rings on fridays sundays is game of Thrones. well house of the dragon like it's just i'm blown away by the amount of content yeah Yeah, it's it's amazing all right well this this is going to wrap up this episode of the temple of geek podcast we want to thank everyone who tuned in today and especially our two guests stacy and elizabeth it was so nice to talk to both of you today If you have any questions or comments, feel free to hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram using the handle Temple of Geek. Do you want to check out some of our other episodes or shows? Why don't you head on over to templeofgeek.com? There you'll find all sorts of content that pertains to the world of geek. Please follow us on Twitter at Temple of Geek. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash templeofgeek. And remember to visit templeofgeek.com. Your one stop for all things geek. Goodbye. This will conclude our transmission.